Every week, the Orange Fizz team breaks down the five most pressing questions about Syracuse athletics. Holy cow, what a big-time defensive play! No holds barred. I paid the fool. It's the Fizz Five. Five! Well, it's finals week at Syracuse University, which means no midweek men's or women's basketball. But, oh boy, is there still plenty of news from the Hill, and we're here to talk about it on this week's edition of Fizz 5. I'm Francesco Simone, joined alongside Adam Godkin. We got football, we got men's and women's basketball. Adam, there's still a lot going on, even with no games. Yeah, it's hard to, you know, as such an academic guy myself, you know, continue to you know, do all my classes because there is so much stuff going on. I mean, you get into the football world with Fran Brown, Hibachi in the Dome. I mean, it's been a crazy world in the past week. Well, as we record this, it's 1125, and you know what that means. It's time for topic number one. Number one. Syracuse goes into Washington, D.C. and takes uh, takes down its oldest rival. Not its oldest rival, probably its biggest rival in Georgetown, 80-68 to back on Saturday. Adam, in a game where... First half, back and forth, pretty sloppy first half. But in the second half, the Syracuse offense really took over took over the entire game. Yeah, I think the main story in this game, more than anything else, is J.J. Starling and what he did on the offensive end. Three, three for three from three-point range. He was shooting under 20% entering the contest. 13%, yeah. Goes three for three. And, you know, he has one of the best games of his career. Scores 21 points. Mm-hmm. And I think there's no other way to put yeah. that this was the J.J. Starling game. I think we were waiting for that, right? We were waiting for J.J. to have that big breakout. You know, he had a nice game against Canisius. He's had nice games against these mid-major teams. But against a, listen, is Georgetown a national championship contender? No. Is Georgetown going to make the NCAA tournament? Not even going to come close, right? But it's a team in the Big East. It's a big rivalry game for a kid from Baldwinsville, right? You know he's probably hopped up for it. You're waiting for that game where you can say, all right, that's the type of player we were hoping to get as a former five-star, and I think he finally got it because not only did he score 21 points, made over half of his field goals, and I think most importantly, Adam, three for three from three-point range. Yeah, I don't think it necessarily matters that much that this was even Georgetown that, that SU played. I think if if he went out against Niagara in a couple of weeks and went four for four from deep and shot the ball efficiently, then I'd be just as happy because it didn't matter who he was playing. J.J. Starling was missing wide-open threes. He, he, he couldn't make a shot if the basket was as big as the ocean, it felt like. <laughs> so just the fact that he finally started to see those shots go through the hoop, I think is the most important thing at the end of the day because, you know, he, he wasn't that big of a three-point shooter last year, but if you go back to him in high school, the big thing about J.J. Starling was this guy's got a special yeah. shot. Yeah. And that completely fell apart. And so what made him a five-star was gone. Mm-hmm. But now maybe it's coming back. Well, you hope so, right? Now you want to see him do it at a consistent level, do it against Oregon on Sunday, do it against Niagara next Thursday, then you know, take it into the new year with that reestablished shot. But you're right, though, Adam, because last year at Notre Dame, he was at 30%, and that was the big concern coming into the season was, okay, you got Judah, you got J.J. in the backcourt. Both of those guys shot about 30% last year. Judah looks like he's figured it out. If J.J. can figure it out, this is a whole, a whole different team. Yeah, because... I think you have to compare it back to last year just because of how many similar players there are. Yeah. At, but coming into that Georgetown game, I would rather have Joe jo Gerard 
any day of the week with what he could do shooting the ball. He's he's making almost half of his threes this year. Yeah, and J.J. just couldn't do that. So offensively, you lose that production. Yeah. Don't even get me started on Jesse Edwards' Nehemiah McLeod's comparison. Now, defensively, to be fair, J.J.'s much better, yes, but and he's more athletic than Joey's. But still, when you when you get rid of, of you know your post presence down low, okay, you lose that yeah. sense of the offensive game. So you at least needed the three-point shooting sure. you know, to complement it, but... Mm. That was gone. There was yeah. no three point shooting. So it was it was, you know, the offense didn't look good with Joe Gerard at all. Mm-hmm. It was it was a bad looking offense, but at least he made his shots, at least sure. he made threes and he scored sure. points. JJ wasn't scoring points. So the fact that he is is just so important to this offense. And I mean, I, I think if he can continue to play like that, the sky is really the limit because I mean, outside of Judah and J.J., offensively, I mean, you had Quidir Copeland who had a good game. Yeah. But Chris Bell was quiet. Malik Brown was quiet. Justin Taylor was quiet. So I I feel like if this is moving forward, you hope almost the baseline Mm -hmm. for J.J. Starling, then you can start to really think positively about this team. Let's do a little math here, you and me, right? So you lose Jesse Edwards and Joe Girard. That's a little over 30 points a game you're losing off of a team last year that, frankly, was bad. Right, a team that didn't come close to making the NCAA tournament. You got to replace that, and then some. From JJ Starling, I need 15 points a game at the bare minimum. Then I need somebody else every night, whether it's Malik Brown, whether it's Justin Taylor, whether it's Chris Bell, whether it's Quinter Copeland. Don't care who it is. One other guy has to step up on a nightly basis to become the third member of that big three with Judah and JJ. But you need Judah and JJ as a baseline. Judah about 20, J.J. about 15 every night. I'd agree with that. I think Judah 20, J.J. 15, and then I think you need 10 from Chris Bell every night. And you need either Quidier Copeland, Malik Brown, or Justin Taylor to also score in double figures. I mean, I think you need four guys in double figures to legitimately say, look, we're going to be a force in the ACC offensively. Teams are going to worry about us offensively because right now you don't have that. If you're a defense – you're saying, okay, let's take away Judah Mintz and just pray that Chris Bell does not make eight threes tonight. Yeah, no, 100% right. And moving off of J.J. Starling for a second here, still in the context of this Georgetown game, you know, people talk about, oh, the rivalry's not what it used to be, and it's not, obviously, right? These are two teams who are not very good. Georgetown more so than Syracuse. I, what does it mean to you, I guess, would be my, would be my, my question. Because I, being here for the last four years for myself – it doesn't – I long for the days of the Big East, right, where this was a thing. I just – it's hard for me to get excited about it as somebody who didn't experience those big days of Georgetown and Syracuse. It's, it's hard. It's harder for me to get excited about it, but I'm also – I'm from D.C. Fair. So it's Syracuse taking on a hometown team for sure. me. And I've worked a lot at Georgetown in the past, and walking through the halls of their building and seeing – John Thompson III's mm. massive statue, which is his life-size seven feet tall. Yeah. and Or John Thompson Jr., not the third. The and second, right? The yeah. second, yes. yes. And a lot then, of John Thompsons. A lot of John Thompsons. And then looking right to the left of that and seeing the big quote of John Thompson has closed Manly Fieldhouse. Mm. So I think to me this rivalry means more because it's, okay, that's going back to my home. Sure. And I, would go to, I went to that game when sure. I was home before I was a student here at SU. Mm. And so I think it means a little bit more to me, but, I mean – if, if you look back at the last two times that these teams have played, because they're the two that I remember because I was there the last time mm-hmm. and watched this whole game, I don't remember fully the, the 2019 game, but, I mean, those atmospheres are awesome. Yeah. 
and the games are still close. Now Georgetown, they got to pay people to go to that game, though. <laughs> they do. They got get yeah, give $1 away one, tickets. They get they got to give away one dollar tickets, and it's about 50-50 Syracuse and Georgetown fans. But that that's a much longer story. Yeah. Where you're talking about people in the D.C. area don't really care about Georgetown anymore. It's also a program that's in a tough spot right now. Yes, and don't even get me started on the most recent news of the new arena that's yeah. potentially going to Virginia and. Mm-hmm. Georgetown maybe not going to be playing in D.C. at all anymore. Which, I mean, there's yeah. there's one account on Twitter. I, I don't even know what his name is, but big fan of his for a Georgetown fan. It's something Kirchin, it's like yeah. like Tim Kirchin, same last name. Yeah, he's like a student student reporter there. Sure. And he was he tweeted out how he was like, I'm going to write a thousand word paper about how this is the worst decision of all time if they mm-hmm. move. And then the next tweet was, I haven't even gotten to the new location, and I'm two thousand words in. <laughs> it, it is the it's worst thing. And so, so Georgetown basketball already on a decline. If they move, it's going to get even worse. Yeah. But I mean, I, I think this is still a rivalry. It's the biggest rivalry for Syracuse basketball. For sure. Don't get me wrong. For I sure. mean, it's way bigger than Duke. It's bigger than UNC well, Virginia. I it's mean, the, the thing about Duke is they don't care about us. Can, they don't care, right? Yeah, down in they, they couldn't give. A, they couldn't care less about Syracuse, right? Yes. Yeah, so, so I think it's still the biggest rivalry, and I and I think the important thing too is you've got two coaches who want this to be a rivalry. Yeah. Ed Cooley, after the game, said, you know, we we hate Syracuse. Yeah. Get us while we're down. Yeah. Yeah. And Autry was talking about how important this is. So I think yeah. that at the end of the day, that's the important thing is that these yeah. coaches care and this rivalry will last. It's kind of amazing. Syracuse has been has become a school without a rival. Football, nobody. Basketball, yeah, you got Georgetown. Not what it used to be, though, right? I mean, who's the biggest rival besides Georgetown? I mean— Pittsburgh? Well, VC? the fans here will make you think it's Duke. Right, you're right. But, but again, again, Duke does not care and about Durham Syracuse. Couldn't care less. Exactly. It's a weird dynamic. I mean, I feel like it should be like BC or Pitt. You think so, right? But no one really, nobody really cares. Or like a Virginia right. Tech, they're in the Big East. For, right. Miami was in the Big East for a little bit. Like, but but no one cares. Nobody cares. No, so, especially in football. Yeah. Speaking of football, maybe a man who's going to try to make people care a little bit more is Fran Brown. And boy, he's only been here for a couple of weeks, Adam. But he's gotten busy. And that's topic number two. Number two. Now, Adam, I have a question for you. Have you ever eaten hibachi in a football stadium that's laid out for basketball? I don't think I have. No? Well, Syracuse's recruits have. <laughs> Last weekend, Fran Brown brings in this whole cluster of recruits in his first, really his first action as Syracuse football's head coach. He gets some hibachi in the dome, and King Joseph Edwards, who might be my new favorite player in soon-to-be college football, he was tweeting all about it, and he was loving it, too. Hey, they got a hibachi, they got a Ferrari in there. They did. All the pictures in the world. I mean, what a time that was. I, I wish I was in I the wish dome I, for exactly. that. I wish I was a recruit at that point, too. I mean, hey, if, if hibachi works, hibachi works. Already got, a, what, three, four commits from it? Well, and there's one in particular that I want to talk about, Adam, that's, to me, the biggest deal and really shows you where Fran Brown can take this program. That's Yassine Willis, who's the number one player in the state of New Jersey, is a four-star running back that you flipped from Pittsburgh. Fran Brown, in a week, got himself a four-star. When was the last four-star Dino Babers got? Was it DeVito? It was Enrique Cruz, Enrique Cruz, you're right. Yeah, you're right. Somehow he was a four-star. Yeah. 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 before that, it was DeVito. Yeah. He, he also, he's a four-star on Rivals. No other site really has... Will is anywhere close to that. Sure. Rivals has him as the 12th best running back in the country on 3, 24-7 in ESPN. The highest is 47th. Mm. But if you just look at his tape, I mean, he looks like Derrick Henry out there. He's big. Like, He's big, massive. Yeah. massive running back. Fast, really strong. And, I mean, you know, he'll just be a true freshman next year, but I think a tandem of 
of him and LaQuinn Allen could yeah. be something that's really scary. Well, and he's more of the bruising back, like you mentioned, right? Yeah. He's six foot two twenty five, and remember, he's seventeen, eighteen years old. That's plenty of room to grow as well. But you know, whether you call him a four star, whether you call him a three star, to me is less important because he's a highly touted player, right? He's one of the best players in the state of New Jersey, which. As Fran Brown has already said, as a guy from Camden, New Jersey himself, he wants to own that area. He Nunzio Campanelli's staying on, right, who's also a guy who wants to own New Jersey. So that type of tandem and recruiting players out of that state, which if Syracuse wants to be successful, you've got to get those guys. You've got to beat Rutgers. You've got to beat Pitt. You've got to beat BC. And you've got to beat all the bigger schools that are going in there trying to grab these guys. It's a good first step for the Fran Brown era. Absolutely. I mean, I think the one that's even bigger is, is Hornsby. You think so? Because it's a flip from Texas A&M. Fair. And, you know, he might not be as high of a – I mean, he was a four-star before. It feels like whenever someone commits to Syracuse, they, they, get, moved, yeah. they get moved down to a three-star. King three Joseph star. Edwards, just because he was here eating hibachi in the Dome, all of a sudden he's a three-star. Yeah, yeah. But, but I think the fact that, you know, a flip from Pitt to Syracuse doesn't seem out of this world. No. A flip from Texas A&M to Syracuse sure. just feels like a much bigger deal. To be fair, there's a lot of things going on with that program right now with Texas A&M. There is. There definitely is with firing Jimbo yeah. Fisher after, at halftime, bringing out a check that was literally his buyout yeah. while yeah. he was still coaching mm-hmm. the game. Yeah. So a lot going on at A&M. My favorite fans in all of college football. Sure. Because they are the craziest. And mm. the fact that th- this is honestly the most important thing to me, the fact that Texas A&M fans are mad at Syracuse that's makes this all worth it. That's a good thing. It, yeah. it, it, like Georgia fans being mad at Syracuse. Mm-hmm. Syracuse, the important thing with Hornsby, I think, is that Hornsby is almost bringing Syracuse back into the realm of like national conversation. Sure. Because sure. if A&M cares about you, then you are like there. Fair. Here's where I'm going to disagree with you a little bit, though. Yes, I agree that that's a big thing, and having Syracuse and Texas A&M in the same sentence is a good thing. However, from a consistency standpoint as to what you can do long-term – you know, on an every year type of basis, beating Pitt to a player from New Jersey to me is more of a sustainable future than flipping Jalen Hornsby from Texas A&M. But Hornsby is a Jersey guy, so it's keeping sure, him here. Sure. If this was a guy from Georgia who Fran Brown brought in and was like, right. you know, let's stay home, then I think it's a little bit different. Fair. But this is a Jersey guy who is good enough to get poached away outside sure. the Northeast. Sure. And that, but I, I do think that you're also right in a, in a fact, and that's something that Fran Brown continues mm. to emphasize is keeping these New Jersey guys, these Camden, yeah. New Jersey guys, going all the way down to the DMV around this New York State area, keeping those types of players home. Yes. That is what's important. That's how you get to the next level because I think he understands that building a, a strong program at Syracuse is not going to be done by going into Texas and no. Florida and California no. and Picking all the five stars. Right. I think it's also a little bit still, I'm not going to say a pipe dream because I think it's possible, but when these big-time programs try to go into New Jersey, whether it's Michigan to get a Rashawn Gary, right? Rashawn Gary was the best player in the country. He's a little bit of an outlier, but that type of thing, right? I think it's still going to be very difficult for Syracuse to compete with that on a consistent basis. But those second-tier guys, right, those borderline three or four stars that Pitt and BC want, Getting those guys consistently, that's what's going to build a pipeline, and that's what's going to make the program successful. And that also gets you in the conversation sure. when it comes to those yeah, five stars. I sure. mean, K.J. Bolden, top 15 player in the country, yeah. was here for Hibachi. True. 
So just, just you know, I, I don't think he actually had any interest in Syracuse. I think it's the fact that all of his friends were here. But at least he walked in the door. He walked in the door. Yeah. His friends were here. Yeah. That's what's important, just being in the conversation, being a relevant program that people, when they hear the name, care about. Mm-hmm. At the end of the day is what's important. Sure. And Fran Brown is already getting Syracuse there. Yeah, absolutely. And at the end of the day, that's what matters. More than Dino Babers ever did. I think we could certainly argue that. Yeah, uh, absolutely more than Dino Babers ever did. Now, let's see if Fran Brown can coach a football game, which we'll <laughs> find out, right? He's never done it before, and his assistants are all people who really have not done it at this level before. Now, some have, right? But for the most part, a lot of young coaches who are known as recruiters, there's a difference between recruiting and actually coaching a game. And you gotta do you gotta be able to do both. Gotta win football games, exactly. but I think luckily for SU, very easy schedule next year, True, it looks like. For sure. So absolutely. You could get a bit of a easy, you know, start to this era. It's yeah. then after that, when you get to twenty twenty five, when you're at Notre Dame, you play Tennessee, yeah. you're at Miami, you go to Clemson, you're I at think. Clemson. Then it gets real. It's quite the schedule for the uh, student broadcasters in the class of 2026. Hey, I'll take that. I know you certainly <laughs> will. All right, well, that wraps up the Fran Brown recruiting element of this Fizz 5 podcast. Next up, we're talking some women's hoops. Syracuse 8-1, and one, the best start in six years. Felicia Leggett, Jack and company doing well so far. And their topic, number three. Number three. So I mentioned finals week here at SU, and that means also no women's basketball in the midweek, but Adam, I think looking at this women's basketball program from a 10,000-foot view, two years ago, you weren't here for this, but the Von Reed experience, my goodness, I felt so bad for that guy. Taking over for, you know, a disgraced Quinton Hillsman, who, by the way, is in Brazil coaching basketball hmm. now, and his Twitter handle is still Coach Q at SU, even though <laughs> he's not at SU. No. What Felicia Leggett-Jack has done, going from the dumpster fire that was two seasons ago, bringing in a whole bunch of her players from Buffalo last year, making a run at the NCAA tournament, having a run in the NIT, and all of a sudden becoming a team this year who I think it would be a disappointment, a massive disappointment, if they're not in the NCAA tournament this year, give her a ton of credit. Oh, absolutely. She deserves all the credit in the world. She is a culture coach. Sure. That is the thing with FLJ. It's Which all, is what this program needed. It is. And it's all about the culture. And it, when you listen to the players talk after the game, you can – really take that in, yeah. especially with the freshman Alyssa Latham. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because all that she talks about is how it's a family. Mm-hmm. And she's been incredible to start the season. She a has. top 100 player in the country, true freshman, and, and FLJ has not treated her like a freshman. No. She against Alabama went off, and you know th- this is a team that really – it feels like it's starting to take the next step mm-hmm. because we we all knew DeAsia Fair was going to be great, but yeah. now there are really some other players who are getting to that next level. You've got Kyra Wood having a great season, and you got Georgia Woolley finally getting comfortable after missing the start of the season due to injury. Yes, and I think this team can get even better than it is now because of that last player you mentioned, Georgia Woolley. She's averaging almost 15 a game, but her hallmark is as a three-point shooter. And she's making 15% of her threes. And she's also over 95% from the foul line, which tells you her shot's fine. She's just got to get it going from a little bit of distance, right? So the fact that this team could get even better is awesome. I think Syracuse fans should be really excited and really paying attention to this team because they're going to give you some fun times. I want to talk about DeAsia Fair a little bit because, listen, I'm from Rochester. She went to Edison Tech, which was like 20 minutes away from where I went to high school. I love DeAsia. She's awesome. And it's it, it, she's an interesting case because – when Syracuse women's basketball finally turns the corner and becomes a consistent top 25 team, DH is not going to be here. She's gone after the season. 
But people are going to look back at her and say, that's the player who started everything. That's the player who came here when this program was at its lowest, came here with Felicia like at Jack, and really laid a foundation. She was the best player for a couple of years when the tide was turning, and I think Syracuse fans are really going to look back at her fondly. Yeah, I think she's an interesting case also because she was at Buffalo. She yeah. wasn't this highly you know, touted player, and she wasn't someone who, when FLJ was leaving, I don't think was getting looks from your Yukons, your yeah. South Carolinas. She kind of flew under the radar and was always a lock to come here to Syracuse. Even though she averaged over 20 at Buffalo. Yeah, and she's done just that again here in Syracuse. And yeah. and she is a massive part of that culture. And when she, against Alabama, went down for a minute mm-hmm. and was hurt for a minute, you could almost feel it in the team. Yeah. They went on like an 8-0 run right after she got hurt, mm-hmm. which is kind of crazy to think against a team like Alabama that they would get better as Felicia Leggett-Jack is hurt. But that's just what it is because I think that says how important she really is to the squad. Yeah, no, for sure. And she's fantastic. You need that running mate with Georgia Woolley, which is why it's so important for her to get that shot going from three. But to me, Adam, it's the rebounding that's impressed me so far this season because you you lose Dariana Lewis last year, who was the team's leading rebounder, really one of the better rebounders in the entire ACC. But you got a freshman like Alyssa Latham stepping in. you got Kyra Wood, who's averaging almost eight rebounds per game. Sanaya Wilson up at four. That front court, which has been really the biggest problem for Syracuse across the last few years since Camilla Cardoso left, you've finally gotten some players who, they may not be 6'5", but they're doing a heck of a job down there. I mean, Alyssa Latham's almost averaging a double-double. She's yeah. averaging close to 11 points and as eight a rebounds a game as, as a, a true freshman. Yeah. You, you really you can't ask for much more. And, you know, you go down the list of players and you look at, like, a Sanaya Wilson who dropped, what, 20 points or something close yeah. to that against Ohio? Mm-hmm. And Isabel Vergeau, who sure. is still getting used to playing consistent minutes again because she, she hasn't played in a while. Yeah. didn't play for basically two years because she couldn't get back in the country during COVID. Yeah. And then you, you keep going down the list and you look at, like, a Sophie Burrows who started a little bit at the start of the year, the freshman from Australia who's shown a lot of good stuff. Yep. You keep going down the list and you keep saying, oh, we got a really good player here if you're FLJ. That's what you're you're thinking because, you know, there's a lot of talent on this team. A lot of talent, and it's it's depth, right, because there's a lot of talent. There's six players who are averaging over 19 minutes a game. There's six players averaging over 19 minutes a game. There's seven over 18. Then you've got 10 players averaging over 10 minutes per game. It's insane. This is a rotation that's legitimately 10-11 deep. I mean, you got players like Lexi McNabb and Kennedy Perkins who are at the bottom of it, right? But even them, if you need a backup point guard for five minutes because the Asia Fair is a little, you know, winded or whatever, you put them in, you're going to be fine. And the craziest thing of all is that this team is probably without its starting point guard. Dominique Camp, yeah. Because I I don't think any of us were expecting Dominique Camp to be that big of an impact player. But when she got hurt. Yeah. People were broken up about it. It was, it was. I mean, FLJ was almost brought to tears in that post yeah. press conference after the exhibition mm-hmm. because of how important they knew Dominique Camp was. And, yeah. you know, she out for the season. Right. And that just says how deep this team really yeah. is and just how good of a job FLJ has done. And you look at the 2024 recruiting class, and you got multiple top 100 mm-hmm. players in it. You know, this is a Syracuse women's basketball program that is on the rise now, and mm-hmm. it just continues to just go up and up and up. Yeah, Somehow sure. they're not receiving any votes in the AP poll right, right now. Right. Even though they were, they won a couple of games, and then all of a sudden they weren't. Yeah, I mean, yeah. they weren't the greatest wins. Sure. You struggle at the start against Northeastern yeah. and Ohio, but you pull away and win by 20 by at 20 the end of the day. Yeah. 
you know, I, I think that if anything, though, that's going to give this team a lot more motivation. You got a couple more easy ones before ACC play starts, but I mean, you really can't get a much harder start to ACC play because after Cornell and St. Francis, you go number 14, Notre Dame, and number 25, North Carolina. That's where you're going to prove yourself, though. If you win those games, and at least you win one of those games, it's going to be hard for any in any voter to keep them out of the top 25 ranking. So You got nine I, ACC games against yeah. ranked opponents. ACC's... If not the best conference for women's basketball, it's certainly up there. So a, a tough road ahead for Syracuse women's basketball. But, Adam, I, I think I would be surprised if at some point this season they're not ranked. you got to think so, unless, you know, first two games of ACC play they get demolished. Right, right. And then it's, you know, uh-oh. But I, I'll tell you what, that game on New Year's Eve mm-hmm. where you're most likely going to be, what, 9-1? and one, mm-hmm. And you ten have and ten and are yeah. they eight? They have eight wins They're right eight now. Eight and one right now. Yeah. Okay, so eight and one. So you're ten and one. Yeah. With a top fifteen Notre Dame team coming to town. Mm-hmm. Yep. I mean, that is a a massive game. Ten and one with your only loss coming on the road by two points at Maryland, where, where you probably should have won. Yeah. And you got a top fifteen Notre Dame team coming to town. Mm-hmm. A Notre Dame team that has consistently been one of the best programs in the sport. Yep. That's an exciting game. It and is. That's a game that should get it a is. lot of national attention. 100%. And hopefully, you know, Syracuse women's basketball basketball gives basketball fans around here something to really be excited about, and hopefully they show up to. Yeah, because this team deserves much better crowds than it's got. I mean, 100%. It, the, the Alabama game was like under 2,000. Yeah. There's more people at SU soccer games than right. there are at women's basketball games. Women's lacrosse games than there are women's yeah. basketball games. Yeah. Th- this team deserves much because they're a fun team to they watch. They are. They're a fun team. Very fun team to watch. Just watch DeAsia Fair. She's pulling up from 40 feet yep, and exactly. making them. Yeah, <laughs> she is. And they run in transition. They're not a slow-paced team at all. So hopefully they get that You know, they get that little extra recognition as the season goes on. And, hey, if they win these games, Adam, I'm telling you they will. Yeah, I, I, and I, I hope so. I, I hope that this team gets the support they deserve. Absolutely. All right, that's topic number three. We head back to football but in the NFL realm for topic number four. Number four. All right, Adam. I'm from Italy. You know that, right? My name is Francesco. Shouldn't come as much of a surprise. <laughs> Francesco Simone. I don't know if you can get more Italian than that. Uh, well, I think you could. Tommy DeVito. <laughs> How about him? Tommy Cutlets slinging it out in New Jersey for the New York Giants. His agent looks like a mobster. He got his costume at Spirit Halloween. His parents are doing tailgates in the parking lot, feeding the whole crew. They're kissing each other They're in the crowd. They're kissing each other on, on the cheek. They're doing the little the, the, the wrist thing. I don't even know what this is called, but I do it a lot. <laughs> what is go- Tommy DeVito's an NFL quarterback, Adam. How about it? And he's won three straight I starts. I know. This is the greatest thing of all time as a Washington <laughs> Commanders fan because – it hurts the Giants. They're not getting Drake May. No Caleb Williams going <laughs> no to No Caleb right. Williams, no Drake May, but hey, you got Tommy DeVito. Maybe he's better. No, he's not. Who lost his starting job to Garrett Schrader. Yeah, that happened. What a world we live in. What a world we live in. We're the backup quarterback for a Syracuse team that did not make a bowl game. No. Is now a starting quarterback in the NFL who's 3-0 and and has not thrown any interceptions. Yeah. Just let a fourth-quarter comeback drive at the very end of the game against a Packer team who can make the playoffs. Uh, what a world that we live in. Uh, now, I feel like there's been some discourse online of, of people saying that this just shows kind of why it was time for, like, Dino to go. Let's get into this. This is an interesting conversation. Tommy DeVito was in a horrible position in Syracuse. Awful position. Awful position. He had Sean Tucker. He did. But he, ha- I-, I think the two of us could have done just as good of a job as his offensive line did. 
Well, there was a, there was a brief moment in time when Chris Elmore was playing guard. Yeah. <laughs> I, I I mean, he he had no offensive line. Yeah. And he didn't have a real receiving core either, really. No, besides his buddy Taj. Yeah. Yeah. Who who? Uh, I don't think he's playing football nowadays. anymore. I don't think he's playing yeah. football anymore. I think and, he's a father now. And Good so you got you know that situation, but. The guy goes to Illinois, gets drafted, and is now— well, doesn't get drafted. Doesn't, doesn't get yeah. drafted, gets signed. Win, wins a spot on the roster. Though. Wins a spot on the roster. Wins three straight games mm. as a starting quarterback for a not-great Giants team. No. Yeah. I mean, what a world we live in. Here's what I'll say about the whole Dino thing, right? Can you look at what Dino decided to do in 2021 by benching Tommy DeVito for Garrett Schrader and blame him for it? No. I don't think you can— based off of the roster that he had around him. However, looking at it from a macro view, you get Tommy DeVito, Elite 11, four-star as a freshman in 2018. He saves your butt a couple of times in 2018. I recall the North Carolina game specifically, in relief of Eric Dungy. In 2019, has an okay season, you don't make a bowl game. 2020, you bottom out. This is what you can blame Dino for. You didn't build a good enough team around him to show people that he can be a starting, that not a starting quarterback in the NFL, that he can play quarterback at the NFL level. That's what you can blame Dino for. No, but I also feel like people aren't giving Garrett Schrader enough credit in this. You think so? Garrett Schrader's a good quarterback. In the, in the college game, he's right up there in terms of Syracuse all-time records. He is top five in a lot of them. He brought this team to a 6-0 and start, sure. ranked top 20 in the country. Sure. And then injuries hurt him. Mm-hmm. A healthy Garrett Schrader was a top four quarterback in the ACC. I don't know about top four. Top five. Seven. Top half of the ACC quarterback. I A healthy Garrett Schrader is, was a good quarterback. He was, for sure. For sure. I mean. He's not an NFL guy, though. As a quarterback, as, as a tight end, maybe. You think he's Dan Valari in the NFL? Uh, he could be. I mean, you see, you see what he's doing running the ball? Uh, I suppose. Catching a couple. Of, he was a wide receiver in co- uh, Mississippi State. Sure. But with DeVito, though, you I think he's shown that you had a guy. Like, he showed that at Illinois, that you had, a, you had a quarterback who, as a passer, is maybe long-term NFL backup caliber. Is that fair? Maybe. I'd say that's fair. I mean, but, like, he wasn't great at Illinois. No, but he was good. Better at Illinois than he ever was at Syracuse. Yeah, he led them to an 8-5 and five season, I guess, but only, f- what, 15 touchdowns? Like, he was good. Not, yeah. Not great. He sure. wasn't a— It's a team built around the running game, yeah. Yeah. But it's just, like, it's it's weird. It is weird. But, I mean, if Tommy DeVito stays at, stays at Syracuse mm-hmm. and DeVito's the starter for the 2022 season— Yeah. Which was a at the start a great season for yes. Syracuse. Do the Orange still go six and zero? Do they beat Clemson then with Tommy DeVito? It's a good question, right? Because I, it's it's how do you marry DeVito's throwing ability, which is better than Schrader's, versus the running ability, right? Because DeVito could run a little bit. Because the, the issue at the start of twenty twenty one, a lot of it was they were trying to play DeVito like Garrett Schrader, running the read options, running the quarterback keepers, which is not his game. But they had to because they had no receiving core and they had a bad offensive line in the pass-blocking standpoint. So are they better last year with DeVito at quarterback? I think they probably are, if I'm being honest. I really do. I don't know, though. because Like, DeVito's a better NFL-style quarterback. Yeah. But what Schrader can do running the ball makes him so dynamic in the college sure. game. Fair. I just think that in an offense last year, I think Robert and I 
would have been able to run more of the offense he wanted to with Tommy DeVito? I, I think so. Now, listen, what does that mean record-wise, right? They went 7-5. and five. Would they have gone 8-4? and four, eight and four? Maybe, right? I'm not saying they would have gone to the college football playoff with DeVito, but I think they would have been a little bit more dynamic with him. Yeah, I mean, and the big thing with that is just keeping guys home. It's keeping sure. the lo- it's getting the local yeah. guys and keeping them. Mm-hmm. You said it. Tommy DeVito is a pretty highly touted recruit at a high school, and he never had anybody like Aronde Gadsden while he was here. No, so it's it's getting those guys like DeVito. Yeah, getting those young quarterbacks, mm-hmm. bringing them in because quarterbacks the issue right now. Sure. Looking forward, and boy, is it an issue. You better grab. You somebody. do not have a quarterback you right don't. now. No, you have Carlos Dorio Wilson and Dan Valari. Luke McPhail. Braden Davis, who you, you were petrified of playing. You don't have a quarterback right now. I mean, what would you do right now to have a guy like Tommy DeVito in the oh room? Oh, my goodness. A local guy who teammates love him. They got Lenora Sellers, though. No, they don't get no, that. No, they don't no, have No, no, you know what? You're right. They don't get that they guy. Have, He's Dino Bloom. Yeah. Um, that, was a, that was completely a joke, by the way. I knew Lenora Sellers wasn't on the team. Jakari Williams? Yes. Signed for next yes. year? I knew, yeah. I, I, I knew there was one of the Southern yes. guys. yes. But you, you you can't have a true freshman three star start at no, quarterback. So you can't. quarterback's an issue. It's where you wish you had a guy like Tommy DeVito. Yeah. He was a great pickup out of high school from Shavers. Sure. sure, it's the type they, of guys that Syracuse needs. They got to do what Illinois did when they got DeVito. You got to grab somebody who is maybe not going to go to a Michigan, maybe not going to go to an Alabama, but you can get as a Syracuse and say, okay, I feel comfortable with him playing quarterback for me. You're not all in on Kyle McCord. I wouldn't mind Kyle McCord. I just don't think it's really feasible. I kind of want to get away from the. I want to talk Kyle McCord for two seconds. Just Go. have you seen the whole like kind of big picture college football stuff around Kyle McCord right now and just Nebraska? What do, you, what do you mean? So so Kyle McCord probably going to Nebraska, sure. but Nebraska might get uh, Rayola, the number one quarterback right. in the country, right? Who's because currently his, committed to Georgia. His uncle's the old line coach in Nebraska, I believe. Something like Something that. Something like that, yeah. And Matt Rule is Matt Rule. Matt Rule's Matt Rule, yeah. So I bring this up because this is, like, I say I love AM fans. Mm-hmm. Georgia fans are the greatest fans on earth with what they're doing right now. Yeah. And I feel like you would enjoy this, and anyone listening would enjoy this. So he, Darrell is from Georgia. Mm. People are search, were like searching flights to Nebraska from Georgia. And on the message boards, asking for the Delta employees to call sick into work. So that he couldn't go visit Nebraska. It's like the Shohei Otani flights to Toronto tracking. Yes. Yeah. So if you're a Syracuse fan, you're rooting for Rayola to to go to to go to Nebraska. Because then McCord's all of a sudden available. Then McCord yeah. is all of a sudden available, and maybe he yeah. comes here. Now you saw what Matt Rule said though. It takes one to two million dollars to grab a transfer portal quarterback. Yeah. I don't know if Syracuse has that. No. Which is why I mean they'll probably get planking on his name, but the guy from Buffalo. Mm. who was a good starter at Buffalo. Or the Holy Cross kid. Or Sluka, yeah. yeah. But we'll see. It's it's. They need somebody. Somebody's got to play quarterback next year. I, I might be able to. <laughs> so Hand the what? ball off to Laquin you Allen. And... Adam God can throw in his hat in the ring. Is that official? Yeah, I'll, I'll throw my hat All in. All right, Fran Brown, I'm eligible. I got four you years. Know, I bet you got a good arm. I can see that. Uh, not great. No? I can hand it off well. Okay, well, there you go. That's I was you a do. right guard when I played tackle football. Okay, well, you know what? We're going to move you to quarterback. Okay. Perfect. All right. That's topic number four. Tommy DeVito, Kyle McCord, Dylan Rayola, and Delta flights being blocked from Atlanta <laughs> to Nebraska. What a world we live in, college football. You got to love it. Now, let's move back to the hardwood college basketball still to talk about. We talked about Syracuse beating Georgetown last week. The Orange head off to South Dakota for a battle with Oregon on Sunday, and that's topic number five. Number five. What a weird schedule this team is playing this year. You go to Hawaii, 
You play LSU in the SEC ACC Challenge. Now you're going to Sioux Falls, South Dakota to play Oregon for Adam uh, reasons, I suppose. This was all Jim Beheim. Yeah. I asked Autry about this uh, earlier in the season, and he said, yeah, no, the schedule was already created by the time I was here. Yeah. This was all Jim Beheim's work. It was. Now, th- this might be a little conspiracy theory-esque, but me and a couple people were talking about this last night. Mm-hmm. Do we think Jim Beheim kind of knew that he was going to retire this year and wanted to test Autry by throwing him to Maui and, and having him play a tough non-conference game against Oregon? You think he's being a saboteur? Not a saboteur, just trying to test him. <laughs> like, That's is, an is there, But is there at all a possibility that Beheim was like, hey, you know, I know that this will be my last year. Let's see what Autry can do. Really throw him to the wolves and, and test him against Maui and Oregon. Can I be honest? No, I don't think there's any world in which that's the case. <laughs> I don't. I really don't. I don't think Jim Beheim knew he was retiring until last February, like fifteenth. Yeah, I think that's fair. But I mean, I think this is a fun matchup. You know? Oh, one hundred percent. This is this is a fun Oregon team, and it's Syracuse. No, Quincy Garrier. He's at Illinois now. Hey, what a name! I know. I know. We we've had some great names. We this. really have. We but really have. it's a team that you know when Syracuse will play, they'll be in the national spotlight. Yeah. And that's yeah. really all you can ask for when it comes to Syracuse basketball right now is being in the national spotlight. Mm-hmm. And it's a good Oregon team. It's an Oregon team that, you know, has beat Michigan, has beat Georgia, two power five wins, and, yep. you know, just barely lost to a really good Alabama team. Who lost to Santa Clara was pretty good, too. Very, they've had a number of NBA guys yeah. in, in recent years yeah. and have been a legit group of or mid-major program. Sure. So, so this is a solid Oregon team, and you play them – Closer to the West Coast, I mm-hmm. guess. Neutral site. Yep. It's fun. Why not? Why it not is. go to South Dakota? It is fun. It's it's certainly odd, right? But here's the thing about the you know the travel element of it. You got a week off before. Then you got Niagara Thursday. Then you don't play until December 30th against Pittsburgh. So travel's not going to be that much of an issue for no. you. It really is. It's a standalone type game because all you got is Niagara a couple of days later. So, listen, I think you're right. It's it's neat. You're playing against the Hall of Fame coach and Dana Altman. It's a, it's a logo, right? You're playing against a really good logo in Oregon. It's an awkward matchup, I think is definitely fair to say, but it's I don't think it's a bad thing. No. I mean, I, mean, I think, I don't know about you, I'm praying for like a color rush type of thing, the orange crazy. against the green. That'd be nice. It'd be real. Now, be, if you're colorblind, that'd be tough. Yeah, it would be. But, it, you know, I mean, LSU looked awesome. The, True. That, looked, that, looked, yeah. that was a good uniform combo. But, yeah. I mean, yeah, let's – it's fun. It's you know why not? Let, let, let's do it. Let, let's have Syracuse against Oregon and Sioux Falls, South Dakota. I mean, hey, if you told I think like Judah Mintz three years ago, hey, you ready to go to Hawaii and South Dakota all within one year? He might call you crazy, but yeah. you know, welcome to college basketball now. Get ready to learn in South Dakota, buddy. <laughs> you know what? I'm glad they're doing this. I'm glad they're having a game like this because, like you said, it's fun. It's a cool experience for these guys at a. You know, a, a venue in the Sanford Pentagon that is fairly historic. A lot of games that are be, that have been played there, and you know, Cole Swider calls that his home right now in the G League too. So maybe you can say hi to him. Um, but yeah, I think that's the only way to put it. Is like this is a neat type game against an Oregon team who you know maybe doesn't have some of the stars that it's had in the past with you know names like Dylan Brooks and Peyton Pritchard and guys like that. But it's a solid Oregon team, one that like you mentioned has beaten a couple of Power Five teams already. It's a team that Syracuse can beat, but it's also a team that, if Syracuse does beat, not a bad team to put on your resume. Yeah. Now, it is a quad two win right yeah. now. That ranking is very confusing, but right. 
neutral the site. Neutral also. site, they have to be a top fifty team. Correct. Oregon road, right now is fifty one. Right on the road, it's top seventy five. Yeah. So, yeah. So right now, it's a quad two win. That can change. Yes. There's still time. Yep. It could be a quad one, but at the end of the day, I think that this game is really important. Agreed. Because you need your quad one and quad two mm-hmm. wins. Yep. Because you're not going to get that many of them in the ACC this year. The ACC's not great. No, you're right. So, in terms of resume, this is a massively important game. Yeah, 100%. I think it's a, if you win this game, you come back and you beat Niagara, you're going into Pittsburgh first game of full ACC play. You obviously had Virginia a couple of weeks ago. I think you're feeling pretty good about yourself. So, if you beat Oregon, you beat Niagara, going into ACC play with three losses, is, is NCAA tournament your expectation? No. I don't think they're good enough to be an NCAA tournament team. In an ACC where I think you've got to be a top-five team in the ACC to even sniff the tournament. I don't know if they can do that. So you got Duke, Carolina, Miami, Clemson, and Somebody. one more. Virginia, you mentioned Virginia? Virgin- oh, Virginia, that's yeah. your five probably? I'm not sold on Clemson yet. No? Well, let me see them in the ACC. Because they kind of fell apart at the end of last year, too. Yeah, but it's I mean— It's a better team this year than it was last year. I'm not 100% sold on Clemson. Joe Girard's killing it right now. He is. He certainly is. Maybe that's why I'm not 100% sold. <laughs> but but it, it's a weird spot, and and these non-conference wins are not are they're not just big for Syracuse. They're big for the entire True. ACC. Absolutely, because the ACC needs to prove that it is a good conference. Yeah, and having Syracuse as a better team definitely helps. And I, I think resume wise, this is one of the bigger games of the season. I said that Georgetown was a or not Georgetown. I said that Virginia was a really really important mm-hmm. one for me because it, it proved if this team was legit or not. Yeah, I think that Oregon's a similar one. I think Oregon to a little bit of a lesser extent because I think Virginia's better than Oregon. Yes, but if you beat Oregon, it's all about tier systems, right? Are you Oregon's what? If you look at the tiers of college basketball, maybe slightly outside the tournament, they're like a seven to ten seed somewhere. So? In the, I, I think if everything goes right, they're a seven to ten seed, or they could miss the tournament. They're a bubble team. Yeah. Fair. So if you beat Oregon, then all of a sudden you're saying, okay, maybe we can be a bubble team too. I think Virginia's probably a top six or seven seed. So you didn't beat them. And you're like, okay, we're not, that, we're not, we're not at that level. But if you, you beat Oregon, like, okay, maybe we can be in the conversation. I think if you beat Oregon, you are a bubble team. Sure. Because then you really, if you go 500 in the ACC, you've got 20 wins, mm-hmm. which is a lot of times seen as kind of a benchmark yeah. for power six teams. Right. So you got 20 wins there with no bad losses. Yeah. In non-conference play like you had last year mm-hmm. and like you had the year before. And that's important, yeah. And, I mean, there were bubble conversations last year. There were times— Sort of, yeah. There were, there were, there were times where it was like, hey, you know, if Syracuse beats Duke, then, then they're on the bubble. Right, right. And they were, they were outside, but they were looking in on the bubble conversation sure. with those Bryan and Colgate losses. Mm-hmm. Those losses aren't there this they're year. They're not there this and year. And you got to no. win against LSU. True. If you have non-conference wins against LSU and Oregon, mm-hmm. and you can be decent in the ACC— you put yourself in the conversation. Fair. Which in year one of Autry is, I think, all you can ask for. Agreed. Agreed. Being in the conversation and a win against Oregon puts you in that conversation. I think my expectation is to at least be in the NIT and be in somewhat in the conversation for the NCAA. Is the, NIT, is the new NIT format start this year? Do you know? I don't know. If it does, then anyone, then they'll be in the NIT. Sure. Because the, I, I can't exactly remember, but the new NIT format's basically every single Power 5 team every, can make it. Every team gets it, yeah, basically, yeah. So, but old NIT standards, yeah. Yes. Old, let's go old NIT standards, be there, and then at least be in the conversation heading into the ACC tournament for the NCAA. That's yeah. my hope slash expectation. Say if you can win two games, you're in. Sure. In the ACC tournament. Sure. And, and I think that if you lose this game, you're not out of it. Agreed. It's not over. But it helps to win. It helps, and it could yeah, go a long 100%. way, and it gives you a lot of momentum 
going into ACC play, going into Pittsburgh at home on December 30th. Yep, 100%. All right, well, that's Fizz 5 for this week. He's Adam Gonkin. I'm Francesco Simone. Thanks so much for listening in. You can see all of our content over at theorangefizz.org. We got you know daily articles coming out. We got all kinds of content going up. The holiday break coming up, and also the Boca Raton Bowl next week. So Woo! plenty, plenty coming out of that. I'll be there for the Boca Raton Bowl. It'll be a little bit of fun. Um, hopefully, a lot of fun. Maybe Syracuse <laughs> gets a win. Maybe we'll see Fran Brown down on the sidelines. I guess we'll find out. But again, stay tuned to all our content, theorangefizz.org, at orangefizz on X and all your social medias. And as always, go orange. <laughs>